have a very special guest. Um, he is not only uh, a hero, I believe, in our generation, one that has set a plumb line. He has uh, laid the foundation for the highway of holiness. Um, he is, I don't know if I could think of another person that fits the theme of consecration more than Lou Engle. And uh, he's also a dear friend, a, a fellow well, well of revival, well digger. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Lou Engle, um, all the way in Colorado. Um, Lou, it's so good to have you here. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. He's going to get his volume on um, in just a minute. But yeah, he was with us for the Azusa Street Revival. I think you're still on mute, Lou. So got to unmute. Um, and, uh, and now he's with us again. You're on. You're on. You made it. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on with the revival guys. Come guys, on. Come on. So good. All the way in Colorado was just at what Pikes Peak earlier today and just uh digging some wells of revival. Man. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So Lou, we are so honored to um to have you speak into the up and coming revivalists of our generation who are burning ones. And uh I just don't know anyone better who's literally laid down their life in prayer and fasting and consecration, um, not just in a season, but as a lifestyle for my generation and, and everyone um, to run after us. So I would love to just, you know, have you share a little bit, what does consecration mean to you? How have you stewarded that in your own walk with the Lord? And what does that look like? Oh, well, <laughs> Okay, here we go. First of all, I'd just like to, uh, I wish I could see everyone face to face. Uh, I'll look forward to the days when uh, uh, Zoom, it won't be Zoom, but we'll be in the room. <laughs> because Amen. there's nothing like hearing people say, yes, Lord, or <laughs> amen, you know. But, uh, but you can do it in your houses, and you can engage with me in this amazing moment. You know, first of all, I've said these things. You know, when William Seymour was outside in the hallway at Parham's uh, Revival School, did you notice what I just said? Revival School. He had no idea. Come on. When, within months, literally a couple of months, the great, he would be the instrument of the greatest revival in history. Wow. You think about the circle of those young people. When Evan Roberts was there and going around the circle and say, send the Holy Spirit more powerfully for Jesus' sake. Those kids, those high schoolers, they had no clue that they would be written on the pages of history for eternity. Those kids that were in the orphanage in India who were praying, fasting, seeking God had no clue that they would be the spark of the greatest revivals in history. I say that because we sometimes dial down our moment in time. Uh, I've often said this while taking photographs with groups. We take photographs, we're smiling. Those, hundred and, those 120 in Massachusetts at the, um, uh, the Student Volunteer Missions Movement Spark had no idea when that photograph was taken 
their pictures would be shown for 150 years. I hope today that we can lift up our sense of expectancy, that we, if not known by men and be catalysts of a great revival, will be known by God. I like that thought. To be known at the throne is far greater than to be known, known by men. And intercessors, uh, people that are hidden, are going to come out of obscurity. And they're going to be emblazoned on the eternal pages of history. And when I was pondering just, just a few minutes ago, as Jen was talking to me, I thought maybe there's one man or one woman on this conversation that you have no idea that a little prayer meeting that may spark the greatest revival that we've ever seen. I don't know how that works, but I've come to a point in my life and seen enough of what God has done that I refuse to dial down the prophetic in my life. When I dial it down and make it, and make it um, possible, I actually move myself out of the possibilities of God. We demand a miracle in these days. There's no other option. America and beyond, there's no hope for a great revival. We're on the verge of 12 days for an election, and people are possessed with election fervor. And I felt like the other day the Lord said to me, speak to me, and he says, Lou, I want you to be possessed with revival fervor because only God can change the hearts of this nation. We need laws to, to decodify the innocent murder of unborn children. Laws keep people from doing murder, but they don't change hearts. Revival changes hearts. Brothers and sisters, from this day forward, as we talk about consecration, what if we set our face today out of this little class and saying, God, use me to be an instrument of revival? I got saved in the Jesus movement. Uh, you know, I went to a Christian college. They put me on a hit list. The, the praying people most wanted, least likely to be saved. They prayed for me for three years, gradu graduated from Christian college, went home, stepped into a revival. It was the charismatic movement, the charismatic revival. And I walked in and they were singing in tongues. I can really almost say I was saved by tongues. The glory of God filled that room. Everything seemed light to me. And within a few days, I had an encounter with, with the salvation of Jesus Christ running down the stairs shouting, I'm saved, I'm saved. You couldn't keep me from evangelizing. They kicked me out of malls. I, I preached in movie theater. Something happened. I got saved in a revival. My kids need a revival. And I believe that we're right now possibly on the verge of one of the greatest revivals. And I've been studying this thing how riots and revival go together. Maybe you've heard this, but the William Seymour story of Azusa Street, experiencing racism like he did, he got above the noise and he opened up heaven and 
the color line was washed away in the blood. White ladies during the Jim Crow laws were hugging black men. Women were preaching. <laughs> it broke all the law. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe still it's the only hope for the real healing of the races. Four days after Azusa Street breaks out, three men, black men, are lynched and murdered, and the Atlanta riots break out. The riots break out in Minneapolis. The riots break out in St. Louis. Almost all the places where the revival, where the riots broke out, where, uh, where the riots broke out, are where they're breaking out again. And in that same context, you find a man who has been prepared his whole life to pass through the fires of bitterness, the fires of rejection, the fires of racism. The reason was because his life was not built on getting something from earth. His life, a hunger was born in that man for something that came down out of heaven. I'm telling you, a lot of people are trying to cure the world's problems with social media, politics, and we need all those people in those places. But the real answer is going to come from Pentecost. Here's the deal. I've been pondering this word consecration. I, I, in some ways, I'd rather use the word concentration. Consecration has to do with something of uh, you stopping doing certain things to, to, to set yourself apart for something greater. But I have found that the, consecrate, that the greatest consecration seasons of my life is when I had a concentration of prophetic activity that birthed something within me that was stronger than the flesh. I want you to get this. I've said this over and over again. What really allows and releases the consecrated heart is that is to live your life under the shadow of a dominating prophecy. I'm a mere mortal when I'm just, when I am not living under the fire of God's prophetic action in my life. I'm dialing down to sports, entertainment, I can say, I mean, I thank you, Jen, for honoring me as the man of consecration. Well, I've lived in great seasons of that, and I've lived also in great seasons of failure. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm a, I'm a mix of a mere mortal and the eternal Son of God. <laughs> I hope you see what it's saying. I have found when I'm living under a prophetic domination, that my consecration is not a sacrifice. It is a joy. Sacrifice and burnt offerings you have not desired, Psalms 40. But my ears you have opened. Sacrifices, burnt offerings you've desired. And then it says, but my ears you have opened. Then I said, here I come. I delight to do your will. Behold, uh, something or it says, uh, how does it say it, Jen? Help me. All my days are written in his book. When we get our ears open to what he has written in our book prophetically, the storyline of our life, 
that's what gives us this thing that we're not doing consecration out of legalism. You should not, we should, I should be doing this, shouldn't be doing this. No, consecration is born out of pleasure. It's not legalism, it's love. We live our lives out of the fire of his love who's called us into a storyline, has opened our ears, and every one of you probably on this line got a moment in your life, a moment of the opening of the ear when God said, revival is what I've written on the, on the scroll. Lo, it is written to me in the scroll of the book. Here I come. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I remember... Everybody in the 70s, the Jesus movement, they were telling everybody, you got to get careers. And, um, but I knew my career. I had already gone to seminary. I quit seminary because I was seeking Acts, Acts chapter 2. I made a vow with a, a man that I would seek Acts chapter 2 with all my heart. Because of that, I quit seminary and I went to a place where the Jesus movement had been breaking out. I didn't see a great revival there, but I found a great wife. That was better than the revival. <laughs> but I remember I didn't go get a career. The only thing I knew what to do because I studied psychology, which basically is this, the reason I took it because I was so messed up. <laughs> I hardly learned anything. So I mowed lawns for five years and that became the grounds of my consecration. I would pray for hours behind a 52 inch lawnmower in tongues, hours a day. God sent me into my own seminary. It was fasting and prayer. I remember mowing lawns. The first time I'd ever heard of fasting, it was in my late 20s. And I was mowing a lawn and on the third day of that fast, I had like an encounter and in and, and this encounter, it was like, I felt like angels were all around me. I felt the presence of God and I got ruined for fasting. At that moment, the rest of my life was a call to a consecrated life of fasting. I remember sweeping a boiler room floor with a mask on my mouth, not because of coronavirus, but because of red dust. Here I am, a college grad, two and a half years of seminary, mowing lawns, nobody knows me. And while that dust is flying all over the place, I hear the voice of the Lord that says, I've called you to be an instrument of revival. I started dancing in that boiler room in the basement of that apartment complex. And I knew that I was being called to be dominated by the... Uh, 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 live my life under the domination, the shadow of a dominating prophecy. I didn't understand fully what it meant, but there was something that went off in my heart. I look back to the days of seminary, and I was a, kind of a crazy kid. I was a Methodist youth pastor, and I, I, I was burning for God, but I had no character. And uh, as a Methodist youth pastor, I told all our kids to go to the Assembly of God down the street. I told them to don't go to the assembly, don't go to the church where I'm a youth pastor. 
you think man, there must be hope for all of us. And the pastor called me up and he said, I heard you sent all those kids to the assembly of God. I said, yeah. And he said, why? I said, because you don't preach the gospel. They got, I got fired. <laughs> and it's my character. I went back years later to try to apologize to the guy. I just didn't have, but, but I was filled with fire. And I remember, I remember during those Methodist youth pastor days, I walked late at night into that Methodist church. And this inward cry came into my heart. And it was dark. No one was there. I made my way to the altar. I knelt down on that altar. And I said, and I sang that old song that I grew up in the holiness church. In. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and help me love you as I ought to love. Goes on, another song singing, Spirit of the living God, fall, uh, fall fresh me. How does it go? Um, uh, anyway, I, I try to remember that song. You should, you really help me remember it where, it, where it says, Teach me to love thee as thine angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame, the baptism of the heaven descended dove, my heart an altar and thy love aflame. I got on my knees, a kid that grew up in church, and I said, God, if you can't make me as radical as a drug addict that gets converted, I don't want anything to do with you. Teach me to love you as thine angels love one. Holy passion, filling all my frame, the baptism of the heaven descended of my heart and altar and thy love of flame. I believe at that moment, God locked me in to a Nazarite vow, a consecration. And he said, for the rest of your life, I believe you will always be miserable if you're not living out of a burning heart. I will not make you a happy man unless you live your life with an inward fire. Oh, the usurpers of the inward throne of God in our hearts, God will not tolerate. <laughs> he, will, he will not tolerate usurpers of my soul. I've had too many usurpers of my soul. That's why fasting has become the, the maybe the thing over my life that has kept me near to the central glory. What's his name? That great preacher in England, Spurgeon, he said, our days, uh, our days of uh, corporate, uh, 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 corporate fasting have been, were high days indeed. Never were we closer to the central glory. It is in the days of fasting we draw near to the, to the, uh, to, to the central glory. When we talk about consecration, I would just simply say, I don't know if there's any other way to keep the altar fires burning bright. You may say, Luel, that's you. Well, I'm convinced that John the Baptist, the Nazarite, the most consecrated man who left the mega churches of his day, that separated himself from the religious system so he could get a voice, not a stage, goes to the desert, leads his whole life, his life for years, fasting and praying, it said, it said he, he, he said his main meal was locust and honey. 
And then it said he fasted often. That, main, that means he, he, he stopped his main meal of locusts and honey to eat nothing. You see, pretty much of an extremist. But when Jesus came to the earth, he did not identify himself with the Sanhedrin. He didn't identify himself with the big Jewish movie. He goes to the de desert and he identifies himself with the desert extremists. That's why I think God is saying, I will only bring revival movements. I will only come and identify myself with the inward fires of the consecrated desert prophets. Prophets are forged in the deserts of fasting, not the deserts of feasting. It was that message that called 400,000 young people to the mall in 2000. We've taught our children to feast and play. The times demand they fast and pray. This was our message, and it resonated in the heart of a generation, and they came 400,000 strong to the sound of a voice of consecration. Great leaders give articulation to that which is being grown in the masses. And Hitler said this, See, Hitler was a Nazi, but I wanted to be a Nazarite. They're spelled the same way, N-A-Z-I, Nazarite, Nazi rights. I know you're thinking, oh, he's a madman. But the fact is, he said this, the doom of the nation can only be uh, uh, averted by a storm of glowing passion, and only those who have passion can give it to others. Oh, what a quote. People would go to his Nazi gatherings as skeptics and leave as blazing fanatics. What would, what would, a man was possessed, inside possessed, and he preached, and Nazareth, that Nazi fire lit up the world. It was a wrong dream, but he touched the heart of a generation that was filled with bitterness, poverty, he touched that heart, and today, with Black Lives Matter, firebrands who have consecrated themselves to destroy a nation are uniting a whole generation of young people into that fire. Brothers and sisters, if we don't find that kind of fire where Jesus would write on the epitaph of the most consecrated prophet, he was a blazing and shining torch, and you enjoyed his, little, his light for a little while. I have cried out to God, if there's one thing that you would put on the epitaph of my life, let it be. He was a blazing torch, and you enjoyed his light for a little while. So when we held our stadium gatherings, we would always fast 40 days because we were into events. We were into getting a flame that would connect with young people across the nation and the world. And we fasted, and we would go for 40 days burning and calling on God. And I am people came and they caught that Nazarite fire. Now let me make a comment on this Nazarite thing. God put me onto this, onto this storyline in the 90s. I began to travel around America calling young people to fast and pray. And the message that God gave me was the Nazarite message. Now it's an Old Testament ritual, an Old Testament vow, but it's got a New Testament reality. I believe the the Old Testament Nazarite was a picture of the New Testament priesthood of believers. The Bible says, you know, they tell you it's legalism. You know, Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, 
all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever pondered what a radical statement that is? That doesn't give, that doesn't give you a whole lot of side issues to have passion about. Is it no wonder that the fires of our devotion burn so dim when we spend so much of our time on the internet and, and listening to other people's voices and preparing ourselves with fasting to hear his voice? Is it so little, so is there, it, it's no wonder that the fires of our devotion burn so low because we are to love him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. That, that is New Testament. So here's the Nazarite. The Nazarites would take a vow, and that vow, the word Nazarite means a consecrated one. Talk about consecrated. The Nazarites were not of the priestly descent. They were not of the Levite tribe. The Nazarites were the normal people from the different tribes who wanted to be as close to God in guarding the holy worship of Yahweh as close to God as the priests were. And so what the priests had to do out of duty because it was their family line um, uh, obligation, what their vow the Nazarite vow was similar to the priestly vow, but the Nazarites made the vow out of a spontaneous desire to be as close to God as they could be. And they called them the consecrated ones, the Nazir, the people of the vow. Isn't that awesome? I am praying that a revival will come to normal people that are out there and inward fire connects in them, and they get this in des desire. I'm running, who, who was I talking to today? Guys that, that were caught up in God and prayed eight hours a day. I'm looking at this young generation, and I'm thinking, there are those among these tribes that God is preparing to get voices to shake a whole nation. These Nazarites would rise up in the days of the greatest apostasy of the nation. In fact, God raised them up. It says in Amos chapter 2, remember, it's not Nazarites. It's, he raises up the ones that are consecrated. A great mission demands a great consecration. Say, get that. A great mission demands a great consecration. In other words, others can, but I cannot. I've been called to holy purposes. This is not legalism. It's love. Not, this message rocks my world. To the degree that I've lived under the Nazarite consecration is the degree that I've lived in the pleasures at his right hand. Glory. There, this is the vow of the Nazarite. They wouldn't drink wine. Why? Not because it wasn't a, leg, a, legitimate, a, legitimate, a legitimate pleasure. Wine was a legitimate pleasure in Israel. Eating grapes, raisins, legitimate but what the, what the Nazarites were saying was this. We will deny ourselves legitimate pleasures for the extreme pleasures of knowing God and being used by God. I love that. I, I, this is what we preached through the 90s. These Nazarites in America will rise up 
and they will deny themselves a legitimate course. Nothing wrong with, with, with doing your, you know, watching Netflix. Nothing wrong, depends on what you're watching. But if it keeps you from the best, God is at war over the warriors of your own soul. And when he finds a holy one set apart from God, by God, that's when God is about ready to act in history. He always finds the consecrator. Consecration prepares you for the great days of God's invasion in your life and his purposes. That's what he said with Joshua. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. I will do a great work. I'm wondering if out of this little, this little school right here, us folks, I, I've been feeling it in my own heart. I've been in about a 50-day fast. God spoke to me in a dream that I was to pray for President Trump and pour out my soul for 40 days and to pray for America. You may not like Trump, but I got a dream. So I've consecrated. It's not a water fast. I did a full water fast for 40 days at the beginning. I'm not boasting. I'm simply saying times demand some kind of some kind of altar encounter, of altar uh, sacrifice. Oh, you got to get this. Abraham. Take now thy son, thine only son, and offer him up on the mountain I will show you. The knife is coming down. Can you imagine it? Can a man love God that he would consecrate himself so much that he would obey the voice of God to offer up his own son? Oh, what looks like insanity to others is love to God. God sees the knife in Abraham's hand I can just imagine the hosts of heaven suspend their ceaseless singing. Archangels stop and gaze at an earth being who loves God so much and all of heaven's silence. That night begins to come down. And I, I, I can imagine the Father erupting inside. The angel of the Lord speeds at the, at the speed of sound, the speed of light. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Oh, a life of sacrifice, of separation. The whole book, the story of Abraham is divine subtractions, consecration that lead to divine multiplications. Get this one. God keeps leading you into outrageous consecration sacrifices because he opens your ears. You, you, you cut off things, and then he gives you divine multiplication. God comes down, and I think this is what happened. When, when God saw Abraham and he said, he says, don't, stop, don't kill him. I believe it was a divine eruption, and I've preached this. Revival is not just some kind of strategic thing that God decides to do at a certain day and his sovereignty and that. I believe there's dimensions of that in revival, but I believe every revival is a divine eruption on someone's sacrifice of love. I want you to get that one. I believe every revival has a dimension that God cannot contain himself, that a man would love me so much to offer his body as a living sacrifice. How can I stop? When he comes down and breaks out with revival, 
I believe that's what he's looking for. And if you'll search every revival, God always found his woman. He always found his men that he would send fire on. I forget where I was. What was this Nazareth? They wouldn't cut their hair. It was the, it was the, the, the cutting of the hair was the glory of their consecration. They weren't seeing how far I can let my consecrate, how little I can be consecrated there. How far can I grow my hair? How far can I go in my consecration of love? This is the attitude of the Nazarite. This is the message that we preached. And um, they wouldn't touch a dead body, which I believe is you don't teach, touch anything that brings death to your soul. And I had this in my life. So this was the message that God gave us in the pre-call days. And then uh, in 1997, I was... We were holding a gathering, and I prophesied that the youth of America to go to the mall, and it will be a John the Baptist consecrated Nazarite generation, fasting generation. They'll go to the mall in D.C., and when they go to the mall, America will turn back to God. I, I, I didn't know what to do with this, but it was like a fire that burned in my heart. Luke 1, 17, that John the Baptist Nazarites are going to come, and they're going to swing the pendulum of apostasy back to the fires of worship in the church. God will always bring radical consecrated ones to swing the pendulum back of the church back to where it needs to be centered in Jesus Christ. So these became our messages. We preached the Nazarite message over and over again. Seven months before the call, you might have heard the story my son, Jesse, age 13, he came to me and he said, Dad, I want to be a Nazarite to the call. I don't want to cut my hair for seven months. I, don't, I want to do a 40-day juice fast, uh, and I don't want to play baseball. I just want to run with you, Dad, and pray for revival. Do you know what that would sound like in normal parents' lives? The dude's growing. He's in, he's in his burp, 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 uh, you know, growth spurt. I'm thinking when he's saying this to me, his bones will shrivel up and he won't grow. And I'm thinking 40 days on juice or smoothies, the kid's going to die. And he doesn't want to play baseball. He's the best pitcher on his team. But he got a fire in his heart. He said, I don't want to cut my hair for seven months. I want to be a Nazarite to the call. I didn't know what to tell him. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about consecration. The great revivals will never break out with this, without this kind of that. You read William Seymour, who fasted so much, he hardly ever ate. Then you've got Evan Roberts, who doesn't miss a prayer meeting at, from 13 on because he's gripped with revival. There is a cost of consecration, but we live our lives under the shadow of an inward-dominating prophecy. I didn't have to wait long to find out what God thought about that. I was wakened by the audible voice of God, powerful. And it said at four o'clock in the morning, America is receiving her apostles, prophets, and evangelists, but it has not yet seen her Nazarites. I woke up and the Lord said, let that young man go as radical as he wants to go. That's what it says in, in, in the book of Amos. He said, I raised up from among your young men prophets. And from among your young sons, Nazarites, you commanded my prophets not to prophesy and commanded my Nazarites to drink wine. Is this not 
true, O Israel. Therefore, I will, I will cut you to pieces. In other words, God says, I'm going to raise up radical young people, and they won't even have the character. But don't you put out their fires of consecration. Don't you drag them down into your, into your normalized Christianity, your professional religionists. That young man went after God for seven months. He didn't play baseball. He ran with me, prayed for revival, grew his hair, fasted 40 days. And when he stood on the stage of that mall with 400,000, 13-year-old boy with long hair, in that microphone was praying, God, let the Nazarite, let the long hairs arise. Oh, God, let him get away, do away with side issues. Let the long hairs are all over this mall at the age of 12 instead of 21. You, the roar that erupted in 400,000. His video of that prayer jumped over to the Philippines. A youth group was watching it. The fire fell on the youth group, a, a breakup. They launched the Call Jesus Revolution in the Philippines. 150,000 gathered to that sound. It spread all over the Philippines. Eight years of fasting and prayer. Went into Southeast Asia. They were doing, they were doing secret underground fasting gatherings in Vietnam. It, it went all over. My son, in seven months, shook the world. What would happen if at this hour, with all this chaos going on, God would find a company of us on this place and say, Lord, we're setting our face. I feel the Lord saying this to me. I am praying because of a prophecy of Bob Jones. I feel so burning inside. I am I'm crying out to God. Give us 100,000 LGBT to be saved and transformed. Come, Lord. I'm dreaming of a million women on the mall because I saw a revival of women coming. I'm so gripped by it right now. I, I want us to not just read about revival. I want us to set our face. What if we started consecration right now? What does this mean to each of us? What if we started prayer meetings with Evan Roberts writes to, to, to Frank Bartleman in LA before the institution, hold nightly prayer meetings. Are we ready? Are we hungry enough to start nightly prayer meetings? I actually believe that the riots are showing us the revival. You see, when I went to Los Angeles because of a dream of a black man saying, come to Los Angeles, it's going to be a great revival. Came to Los Angeles. I read the Azusa Street, the book Azusa Street, the Wells of Revival about, uh, by Frank Bartleman, that great intercessor dude. I got so on fire reading that book. I went into 18 days of fasting and prayer. I cried one night, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. I don't want to read about revival. I want to see revival. The next day, a brother walks up to me, says, I had a dream of you last night. I saw a big black book. The title said revival. I opened the inside of the cover and I saw a guy's face and his name was Frank Bartleman and it turned to your face. I want to tell you, I've lived my life for 36 years under the shadow of a dominating prophecy. We thought revival would come right away, but we fasted and prayed 10 years. We, we gave ourselves, consecrated our lives, and instead of the revival, we got the riots. The riots are breaking out. The policemen beat, beat up Rodney King. It's a replay of this very moment with George Floyd. And I was watching live the fires of the riots weeping. And, the, and I'm watching it. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. What you're watching is revival in the negative. 
I can find a few prepared vessels in this city just like this and light the fires of Pentecost for Los Angeles overnight. That's what William Seymour was. Frank's, Frank Bartleman gave a whole year in 1905 getting possessed, fasting. He said, some of us are only living for one thing, for revival. He said, it got a hold of me more and more and more. He said, I began waking up in the middle of the night prophesying revival. He said, this kind of cost is too dear to most people. The holiness churches are going to be passed by because they don't have enough hunger. I'm saying, Lord, could you put a fire in my heart? What if he was connecting me in 1992 with the riots and then a revival broke out right there in Pasadena in 1994? Could he be saying, the riots are here again. Get ready for the revival. What if for this whole next year, 2021, men and women start holding prayer meetings, upper room networks everywhere. They're calling on God. We insist because without it, we have no survival. We must have revival. And so I feel this word of consecration is, uh, is actually a word for right now. I feel like the Lord was saying to me, these elections, people after the elections are going to drop their hands and they're going to be going back to normal. I'm saying, Lord, can I live a fasted lifestyle that I'm living in the highest fellowship with you? And can you possess me more and more until wells breaks out and India breaks out in every well of revival, which I believe God said to me, every well of revival will be opened up because he keeps his covenants to a thousand generations. So I kind of just erupted on you there for a little bit. You want me to share anything else? Wow, Lou, that was just uh, powerful. So powerful. Oh my gosh, you hit it right on. Same thing I shared this morning about love. I mean, some of the same verses with Joshua. We didn't even talk before this. Come on. It's just, it's, it's about being madly in love with Jesus and surrendering everything because he surrendered it for us. So, oh, so much fire in what you release, but I would Jen, love, yeah. Jen, can I say something else? Yes, please, please. Yeah. Uh, Jen, I also, one of the things the Lord really hammered me, and I've written all of this in this, this little book, Nazarite DNA. This has been the message from everything that has birthed almost everything that I've done. It's that DNA, that whole call to consecration. But I remember years ago reading a book on fasting, and it said about John the Baptist the Nazarite. He fasted, and it, it said, it said um, he had an influence of a 10. And it said in this book, you could have an influence of a 2 or a 7 or a 10, according to your desire. And... When I read that, something erupted inside of me and I cried, give me a 10 for America. Give me an influence of a 10 for America. I didn't know what I was saying, but I knew God was lighting me fire. I said, Lord, would you confirm to me that you want me to live this Nazarite vow, not about cutting your hair, but, but separating myself to God uh, with no side issues. And I said, confirm it to me. Mm. I went to a, a, a meeting that night. A guy was preaching. And at the end of his message, he says, and you can have an influence of a two or a seven or a 10 according to your desire. Wow. 
Those who want that desire come forward. I dove for the altar. I had no idea that that prayer, I believe, brought me to the call. Wow. I had no idea that, that that prayer would bring me to the sin. And just yesterday, I said, God, because I prayed in 1999, how can I turn America back to God? Just yesterday, I was crying to God. I still haven't got an influence of a 10. Mm. Give me an influence of a 10. Turn America back to God. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. This is how we live. We live our lives under the shadow of a dominating prophecy. We consecrate ourselves. We refuse to get jaded on the prophetic. We give our lives to fasting. We give our lives to loving people and loving Jesus. Mm. And we watch that God will do beyond all that we can think or imagine. I wanted to put that one in there too. Come on. Amen. Ephesians 3.20. Yes. Lou, wow. What a, what a treat to have you. I know you got to go because you're about to go to a prayer meeting, um, but I would love so much of your life has already been imparted, but if you could just release a prayer, we're going to start fasting um, on, on Monday. I'm going to do a, a talk on fasting tomorrow about fasting for fire. And, Come on. And uh, so we're going to all be catalyzed to feast feast, feast on the Lord and go after a fresh Pentecost. So if you could just release a prayer in closing uh, over everyone, that would be so special. I, it's what I do all the time and I'll do it again. Father, I, I thank you for this company. I had this sense at the beginning that there are going to be those that come out of this class whose names will be written on the eternal pages of heaven and history. I pray it. Apprehend them now, God. Release even in these days of fasting coming, a prophetic fire that will never go out. Give them a burning bush that lights the course of their lives. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray that you would release dreams, that they will be dominated by, this, uh, by a prophecy. It grips their souls. I pray for the grace of fasting in the name of Jesus, apprehend them for the desires of heaven rather than the desires of her earth. In Jesus' name, I join my hearts with them and we ask for a great revival. God, I'm asking for the great third great awakening in America. And I'm joining with those from other nations on this, that God, you would pour out your spirit and you would reclaim and redig every well of revival. Come like a pent up flood. I, I pray that you would find those who, so to speak, fall into the grave of Elisha and those dead bones raise them from the ground. When they're reading history, something ignites in their souls and they get this dominating inward cry for revival. And we pray all together that God lose a hunger for historic revival way beyond this little, this little school thing right here, way beyond this revival right now where, wherever people are. Send the fires of expectancy. Send the fires of consecration, God. Raise up great voices, men and women, that come out of obscurity. Call them from this very, very room right now in Jesus' name. We ask you, God, that we will be like those who dreamed. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion. Oh, I thank you for Jen. I pray that you would fill her with faith. You would make her one of these mothers of revival. 
her voice, her books, her, her podcast. Let the fire burn and let it multiply and fill the whole earth. Oh, that you would bless her indeed and extend her boundaries. Lay your hand upon her and deliver her from Satan's schemes. And I pray that for every person in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Lou. Gotta go to a prayer meeting. Love you guys. Hope Let's... to see you face to face. Okay. Love you. Thanks, Lou. Love you. Wow. Um, take some time. There was a lot that was just imparted to us from a father of the faith in this generation. So much to just let sink in and uh, just meditate on. And wow, I think we're all going for being a 10 burning on fire. What a, what a great, what a great day. Um, what a great start to uh, this school. Thank you guys for being here, sending lots of love and just sealing what God has just deposited in each one of our hearts um, from Lou.